Welcome. This is Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I discuss the origins and uses of hape, the tobacco snuff used by indigenous cultures of the Amazon basin for thousands of years. We discuss and explore the many uses of hape, including ceremonial uses, spiritual, medicinal, contemplative, and much, much more. We even reveal our own experiences using hape as a meditation and introspection tool. Folks, if you're enjoying the show and you want to support us, you can do that by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If the platform you are listening to us on allows for it, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can write a comment telling us what you think of the show. We read every one of those comments, folks, and we really appreciate your support. Your your listenership means everything to us, so please let us know what you think of the show. And if there's anything you'd like to hear from us that we haven't covered already or anything we need to improve on, like my diction or, I don't know, my beard or something. Thank you so much, and please enjoy today's episode on Hape. Read today... We're going to talk about hape. And uh, let me just tell you a little story about how I've been using this sacred tobacco snuff for my own meditation. The other day, I got up early like I am wont to do to exercise, and I was tired. I didn't mm-hmm. want to exercise. <laughs> didn't want to go into my hot, stuffy garage and throw iron around. Um, so I went in and sort of did the minimum to maintain mm-hmm. my fitness, and I was thinking, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to meditate for the second half of my exercise time, my you know designated exercise time. Mm-hmm. So it happened to be a very beautiful morning here in Utah. And so I went into my backyard, got out my lawn chair, oriented myself to the east. And as the sun was rising out of this canyon that I live nearby, I uh, put in my earbuds and started listening to East some East Forest and uh, self-administered this hape, which we'll, of course we'll talk more about in this episode, with a little device called a, I always forget how to pronounce it, but karipe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And as I had my eyes closed and was meditating on my intention for that morning, I could feel the sunrise. So my eyes were closed. I wasn't watching the sunrise, but I could feel the sunrise. Did you taste it? I, I <laughs> no. What I was tasting was the the tobacco dripping down the back of my throat. But oh, spicy. It was a little spicy. <laughs> Um, but it was amazing because it was quiet. I could hear some roosters. Uh, I could hear some sprinklers in this suburban paradise that I live in and I mm-hmm. uh, was feeling the sunrise and I, I had, it, it's pretty, I don't know how to describe it, but I was, I had, I was very embodied and the way I like to describe the way I've been using Hoppy lately is it opens up a channel, a clear channel directly to my intuition. Mm-hmm. So I had a little notepad uh, nearby and I was just furiously writing all these things, these thoughts that I had and things I wanted to do. Um, and I'm relatively new to the Hoppe journey, but was floored by how impactful that morning mm-hmm. was for me. Amazing. Was that yesterday by chance? Uh, I think it was, might've been two days ago. I can't remember, but it was this week. It was yesterday morning. I may have been doing hape at the exact same time. <laughs> Just a few miles down the road. Serendipitous. I met uh, up with some friends at a cold plunge place in Provo called mm-hmm. Plunge. Um, you need to come try it I out. I would like to. It's yeah. cool. It's on the bucket list. Uh, it has two 
cold plunge tubs and a big sauna. I think there are four to six people in there at a time, mm. and you're often gathering in the sauna and then taking turns in twos going out and sitting in the cold plunge. There's a 40 degree or a 50 degree. Mm. And uh, depending on how much of a glutton you are for cold punishment. Mm. Uh, but uh, we were doing a hape ceremony in the sauna uh, and had some ceremonial sacred songs on. It was pretty neat. That is awesome. So for, the, for our listeners who don't know what the hell we're talking about, what is hape? Ooh, hape, spelled either H-A-P-E or rape, R-A-P-E, with that accent, um, is a combination of sacred plants, often with mapacho, a.k.a. nicotina rustica, a rather potent sacred blend of mapacho that uh, is thought to be one of the master plants. And it's uh, administered typically by a shaman or curandera, curandero, into your nose, one nostril at a time or both, um, with an intention. It might be to bring about, like you said, visions, insight, clarity. It might be for physical healing. It might be for a reset or for energy. Like traditionally, indigenous people would use it like a certain blend. And this is often gathered by women, like intuitively created. And then... Uh, it might be administered at night to have dreams about where to hunt the next morning. Then a different blend, energizing clarity, like super sensory perception might be given in the morning to help you in the hunt. Um, and then others for rites of passage ceremonially, et cetera. So you're using the word blend. Um, so, you know, one hape preparation isn't the same as the next hape preparation. The, yeah. the common, I guess, base is that mapacho, right? It's this tobacco. Yeah, there are mapacho-free hapes out there. Uh, when you try them, it's usually a, a different experience uh, because a lot of the experience is from the mapacho, that potent nicotine, um, and what it does um, for this both calming and energizing or like a calm alertness, a grounding presence that it can bring about. Right. So the way it's, I mean, there's evidence that... Um these hape or tobacco snuffs have been used in the Amazon basin for thousands of years. There's, you know, uh, some, yeah. some evidence that the Incas used things like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like tobacco, uh, it's been in use for what, uh, six, seven plus thousand years. Um, snuff or administered in the nose. Like when I went digging to find historically how far back it goes, there were at least some pre-Columbian um, kind of Brazilian tribes, for example, um, do with documented use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I was curious to find out like how it's how it's prepared. You, you, you were talking that, about that a little bit, but usually combined with ash from sacred trees, like yeah. trees, uh, the, either the bark or the wood of the tree, where mm -hmm. they burn it down and then they filter out impurities like any black charred parts that haven't been burn to that white fine ash that they're looking for. And then they'll combine it, um, those sometimes with uh, roots or seeds or petals, flowers, things like that, mm -hmm. to make these different blends you were talking about. Yeah, very aromatic. Um, depending on the blend, like you can look at them, they're different, they're different hues. Like it might be brown, a lighter brown, darker brown, or a green. Um, you'll find uh, 
even some components of ayahuasca in certain hape blends or sananga. The one we did before has marichi in it, a Brazilian fruit tree, where I'm assuming they're getting the bark, like you said, um, but maybe other parts of the plant. And then there was mint in that one, mm-hmm. which, uh, and I guess I just disclosed that we pregame this episode with a little hape ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. Uh, and I got to, to administer to read with my tepi that uh, I got on Etsy. And <laughs> it's a Palo Santo, made of Palo Santo wood. And it was the first time I'd used this tepi. And I'm honored to have used oh, it on, I was on you, Reed. the first recipient, unless the Etsy sellers tested it. Maybe they did. <laughs> I hope they cleaned it afterward. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was uh, beautiful. Thank you for the the pregame hape. Yeah. And uh, the new tepi seems to work great. <laughs> it does. And then Reed uh, used it for myself. And um, yeah, it was a great way to start this podcast. Because like I said, for me at least, it opens up this wide channel to yeah. my core self, to intuition, and helps me be clear. You want to describe, I'm curious uh, about the varieties of the hape experience. Uh, do you want to describe your experience with hape yeah. in general? And maybe I can add mine. Yeah. I'm certain there are people who are listening to this podcast who are more experienced with hape than we are, but we just wanted to talk about it because it's such a cool and beautiful medicine and used often in in ceremony space, even with uh, other plant medicines. It's not uncommon to have a hape ceremony before an ayahuasca ceremony, for example. That's how I encountered it is a a few years back in ayahuasca ceremonial settings in the jungle. Mm Mm-hmm. So at least I'll speak from my personal experience on the varieties that I have had. And again, depending on the blend, depending on my intention, where I'm at spiritually, psychologically, emotionally that day, uh, whether or not I'm being intentional or maybe a little bit too casual, I've had a variety of experiences, right, as I've experimented with this. The positive ones are as I described. I, I feel if I'm administering it to one nostril and then the other, a burning sensation that goes, you know, up behind my eye, all the way through the crown of my head on that side. And that eye will start to water a bit. And it's it's spicy up there, which it's not a sensation I, I dislike, but it's not one I would like all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially if, it, if you administer it pretty powerfully and get all the way up into your sinus cavity. On one side of your head at first. Right. That was the trippiest thing for me at first. The first happy experience I had was... Do you ever get a tingling sensation on your head from wasabi or horseradish? Mm-mm. No? It might just be my, I don't know, individual DNA or something. How about with certain spicy, spicy foods? Not usually. Yeah. Because no. that's a sensation I get on one side of the head, just like a tingling, as if I just snorted wasabi or something. Yeah. For me, it's like an icy hot feeling, but it's just that whole, it goes you know, from the nose, behind the eye, across that entire hemisphere of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do the other side. And then if I relax into it and surrender to the moment mm-hmm. and really feel into the experience, I'll feel it sort of channel down into my heart and then all the way down to my fingertips. And it's a full body relaxation, um, grounding. It's very grounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if I choose to stand up a little too early, I can feel a little dizzy depending on the dose, like how much I shot up there. Uh, and then every once in a while, well, I, not, maybe like two times, I've gotten a little nauseated. And, mm-hmm. and my guess is that it was uh, probably dose dependent. I think I just did maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, that, I've seen that happen uh, 
many times, in fact. And I can generally tie it to, you know, the dose someone receives. Like there are some shamans or uh, like experienced or self-proclaimed who might who like to dish out a whopping dose of hape. And I can see the value, like with any plant medicine, it is a different experience at a high dose. I'll give you that. But I, I personally am a fan of not turning someone off from a plant medicine forever by blasting them or obliterating them <laughs> to on their first ever experience. Because I do hear that a lot. Like, People say reactively when they hear about hoppy, oh, I'll never try that again. That kicked my ass. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's unfortunate because it is an intense experience at first for many. And if you if you go too high in the dose, you know, almost predictably, you can have nausea, sometimes purging. And some see it as that's part of the experience, and I don't want to argue that at all. I just, I think it's a beautiful, like you said, for me, it's a beautiful tool in my life, um, you know, ritually, ceremonially, that uh, I think it is sad that some people have been turned off by it for years because it was so intense their first time or most recent time. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking of my first time it was administered to me, it was very gentle. And uh, and I because I, I wasn't familiar with it or how to set intention with it, it was more of like, at least in the context this, where, I, where I was, it was, hey, want some hop in? I was like, what's that? Brief description. Sure. You know, I'm kind of up for stuff. I like to up try for stuff. stuff. Um, so yeah. And, and I remember thinking, well, that was uncomfortable, but not altogether unpleasant. Huh. And I just sort of filed it away in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. And then the universe presented hopping to me again later in a more ceremonial, more intention-based context. And um, yeah, that's when, that's when I really had a, a special experience with it. Yeah. Um, so Sometimes I'll uh, give it or receive it through a tepi that has two heads. I, you know, you've experienced that. Yeah. Uh, For those of, of you watching on YouTube, I have a gripe that's a two-pronged one. I haven't been able to make this one work because the, the prongs aren't long enough to reach my big nose. But mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's a fun uh, other variety of the experience to get it twice, although I must say that I do like the... Um, alternate nostril approach. Um, and there are different opinions here about starting with the left, closing with the right, or vice versa, even depending on time of day or moon phase cycle. Yeah, I've heard uh, left is death, right is rebirth. Uh, lots of different opinions on yeah. what these things might mean. That's the beauty of the ceremony and the beauty of... Uh, I love um, attending or working with different uh, lineages of plant medicines. Like every time I go to a different uh, like plant medicine ceremony, um, and whether or not they include like hapi as part of it, there's a lineage they come from and a different approach they have to the whole ritual mm-hmm. that I just find fascinating. How about the varieties of experience? If I can take your question and toss it back to you. Yeah, so my first ever... Hape experience was um, similar to what you described. I'd say it was a pretty good-sized dose, um, and I did feel that intense tingling on one side of my head for, um, you know, a couple minutes until they did the other side, you know, asked if I was ready for for that next side, and then it was more balanced. Uh, I noticed that often 
like a tear or two or many will stream down um, my cheek, starting with the side that it was given on at first. I noticed that with with you when we did that that uh, one side. Mm-hmm. There's a tear, um, and sometimes these are like physiologic hape tears, like onions are burning. Sometimes mm-hmm. for me, it's uh, it's definitely a heart opening thing, and it can unlock tears of joy or gratitude um, through the meditation or the experience. But uh, but uh, so I'll get that burning, tingling sensation, that initial wave. It's almost like a mild sananga eye drops mm, um, yeah. that that passes. You ride that wave, and then uh, and then for me, it feels like it both grounds me and elevates my spine and my crown simultaneously. Like it connects me to the earth and the heavens at the same time, where I just feel like, boom, my spine elongates, my shoulders have a weight. I can notice, depending on the blend, depending on the time of day, a tingling that moves throughout my body or an energy or vibrations that move through my body. Like you said, you could even feel it in your fingertips mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, and uh, my breath becomes really substantial. Like the, my experience of breathing is uh, uh, delicious. You know, like even though it's it might be hard initially to breathe through the nose because there's hape in it, depending right. on the blend. At first, um, breathing is so um, nourishing and an important part of it. I'll do it sometimes with music, sometimes without, um, like in silence. And it's so beautiful either way, sometimes with a guided meditation. Yeah, I was telling you earlier before we record, we were recording that I've been uh, using Sam Harris's Waking Up app and some of the guided meditations on there with my hape meditations. And mm-hmm. that's been really special just because his meditations can sometimes get real. They feel esoteric, especially when he's trying to get you to observe the yeah. observer and get get beyond the, you know, the, the duality of self and other. And, and uh, at least for my very busy mind, that's very challenging. But with hape, it sort of helps clear the channel as I was talking about it and, yeah. and get there a little bit better. How long does it last for you? It's pretty brief. You know, if especially if I'm not really uh, present with it, it's like my heart opens for 60 seconds and then I can feel it closing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I'm present with it, it, it lasts five minutes. Yeah. I've been journaling, um, uh, writing about the experience as well, but also with my scientific lens on, like uh, designing a potential study design around it. Like how might we really learn about the experience and the, the varieties of the experience and from different blends. But but I've noticed that it is like that five or six minutes typically for me and those I've uh, sat with. Uh, but five to 10, 15, there's certainly some lingering effects, 10 to 15 minutes out, especially at a high dose. And what you mentioned about the high dose and the nausea, nicotine, like many substances, is different at low dose than high dose. Like energizing at low dose, it can be actually sedating at high dose. Mm. Yeah, because I, I do notice that my body feels a little heavy afterwards. I wouldn't want to go for a run, right, or lift weights or whatever after doing hop it. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it is energizing though and buzzing. And, I, and especially if I've had a lot of insights during my ceremony, uh, I want to go and do, yeah. go and act. I, I remember uh, working in ayahuasca retreat settings as uh, on, say, puke bucket patrol, a space holding 
smudge stick holder, things like that. <laughs> right. um, and uh, Or just sitting in as participants. Um, before I really knew much about Hoppe, I remember saying, what, what the heck are the shamans doing over there with this little like sound and a self-administered pipe or like a little bottle because it was dark in these outdoor ceremony settings in the jungle. And then uh, I remember chatting with a, a shaman who I got to know really well about. He's like, oh, dude, I was doing hape throughout uh, as part of like my process, my ceremony. And, and he had admitted that part of it was to uh, really recalibrate into this clear energetic space that he was um, like stepping into for to work with all these participants. Mm. And part of it is wakefulness. Like, yeah. Yeah. Another aspect that I, that I use Hoppe for is the, what I call the ordeal. Um, it's like being in a nice bath or yeah. being in a sauna or certain psychedelics. The ordeal, the challenge is, can be therapeutic itself because at least for me, at least what I've been working on lately is surrendering in the presence of the ordeal. Mm -hmm. I notice when my body resists, whether I'm in an ice bath or a cold shower or a sauna, or in this case with hape, it makes things worse. And yep, yep. We, we've talked a lot about triggers being friends to follow, and, and you know, there's lots of mental health analogs for that kind of metaphor of, of relinquishing control, surrendering, and finding the beauty on the other side of that. Uh, so I, I, I like, like my mint blend in part because the mint... Even though I, I like the smell of mint, <laughs> but having mm -hmm. it straight in your nasal passages is also a little challenging. Intense. Yeah. And I think in general, it can be intense, the f initial wave of it. But I like what you said about the ordeal and the hero's journey, the arc of it. Um, and it is the same with many plant medicines, both these like Sananga type practices that show up as part of rituals and ceremonies. Uh, that teach us to surrender, but even like ayahuasca, psilocybin. Last week we talked about LSD mm -hmm. and how there is a come up that can be difficult for some, and there's an expansive um, opening into a blissful state on the other side of that that uh, you can get to if you ride the wave. But you got to ride the wave, right? Yeah. And we, we close the door to that blissful state if we resist. Yep. So that's, yeah, one of the, one of the ways I've found Hoppe to be useful is, is uh, the more experiences I get riding that wave to completion, I feel like the better I'm at, I, the better I am at doing it in my day-to-day -day life, right? One of the big oh, challenges yeah. we have as humans, but also humans who are in the helping profession, is helping other people uh, trust that that process will work. Mm -hmm. that, they, that if they do ride the wave and uh, be mindful of the, their parts that are resisting and take good care of them and allow themselves to get through the, soup, the very, very challenging ordeal that they are facing, mm -hmm. that that's where mental health lies. That's where spiritual wellness is. That's where you know, yeah. your actualized self is discovered. The only way out is through. I might or may not be wearing a shirt that says that very thing. The only way out is through. Oh, yeah, I forgot you were wearing the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, what we resist persists, like the phase, the difficult phase of an experience. You know, so much of it is our resistance or our emotional reaction to 
the stimulus or this, the brief suffering that can expand it and get in the way of the blissful parts of it, for sure. Right. Yeah. Anything else we should say about what hape is or how it's prepared? Um, there's, there's a lot historically. Um, did you ever watch the show Bridgerton? My wife loves it. I, I didn't watch it either. I've seen clips because I guess people really like the the costumes and the... The sex scenes, apparently, is what, uh, I, what yeah. I keep hearing. But in there, there's this queen, Snuffy or Catherine, Snuffy Catherine, <laughs> uh, who has this, uh, like aristocrats did, right, uh, you know, several hundred years ago. Snuffbox. Snuffbox, this beautiful box that they keep their powdered tobacco in and snuff like you'd think some people would assume when seeing that that oh they're doing cocaine or something like that no they're doing something perfectly legal although it seems like she developed a habit to it i've many as many people have it's based on a you know there's some real accounts of aristocrats kings queens um becoming quite fond of it um in fact that's where nicotine came from i think like 15 hundreds, this French man, Jean Nico, N-I-C-O-T, ships back uh, tobacco seeds to the king of France and brings some back and became an instant celebrity or success because they loved it. (laughs) And that's where within a hundred years, tobacco smoking, snuffing had spread to uh, like, I don't know, Siberia. Mm. Even in Turkey, there's a snuff. Like, I forget what it's called, but uh, a snuff, a tobacco ceremonially. And and only found in the Americas. Like, there, there's no, I mean, not tobacco history expert, but no evidence of uh, indigenous tobacco in Europe. As, as, as far as I know, um, yeah, the origins come from South Central America, Latin America, Brazil. Um, the Amazon is certainly where hape in the... The practices we're talking about mm-hmm. come, comes from and uh, has shown up in the U.S. and Canada in recent years thanks to the rise of psychedelics and ayahuasca. Yeah, like like our experience, like received it in s- ceremonial settings. Right. Uh, like when I was in the jungle and was very intrigued, even though th- there was a ceremony, it was all the the therapists and medicine team at a at an ayahuasca retreat setting and having a hape experience. And one of the participants, first time, many of us, it was first time, but one of them um, had maybe just too high of a dose for where they were at then and spent the next few hours purging mm-hmm. and really had a rough night. Yeah, yeah like all the things we talk about uh, on this podcast, things by things I mean plant medicines, psychedelics, mm-hmm. um, they need to be approached carefully and yeah. with as much informed consent as possible, you know, and, and intention because uh, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. I, I'm thinking about hape, like a lot of these uh, plant medicines that have origins in ancient traditions, that now that they're becoming more popular, uh, you, you sort of inject capitalism and Westernism into the story and I was reading one place where, you know, this tribe that had had their specific preparation in Brazil of hape was secretive, you know, it was they Mm -hmm. used internally. And then they they said they were happy to sell it to Westerners and they use 
the uh, the proceeds to pay for education for their kids, things like that. Um, but uh, there's is some some concern with just random people making things and calling them hoppe. So if you're going to Google hoppe and try to get some as a result of listening to our podcasts, be careful. Be careful about sourcing and sourcing ethically too. Yeah, but uh, hoppes are unlike some of those snuffs we were talking about in aristocrats snuffy boxes that is typically just tobacco right um hape contains uh i haven't seen a hape that is only mapacho tobacco and mm-hmm. like i said there are some uh, that don't even have mapacho in it which some people seek out because they're staying away from nicotine for example it's, it's definitely worth mentioning that uh, hapes have a variable amount of nicotine in it there's one study in pubmed on hape i'd like to add to this like sparse body of literature but there's one that analyzed the nicotine content and the ph because it matters of different hape blends and it was like from five to 50 milligrams per um was it like a gram of hoppe or something like that? But but a, a wide range. Yeah, that's quite the range. Yeah, and so nicotine is fascinating because in in the U.S. and Canada, uh, it has a bad reputation because of the American tobacco and cigarette industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first like was introduced to ceremonial tobacco, mapacho in ceremonial settings, I was like, wait a second. What is that? It smells a little different than cigarettes. <laughs> and it was used, it's a mapacho, nicotina rustica, is very different than the nicotine in cigarettes. It's like 20 times as potent, so you don't even inhale it. If you inhale, I was warned, you might throw up. Yeah, yeah. compared to nicotine tobacco. So you could get hooked on it, but but it's it's used ceremonially with intention. So the people you know, who were working with it around me were not hooked on it. Mm-hmm. And they used it with reverence and in those settings mainly, yeah. And because, like you said, it's not super well studied, um, I wonder about some of the blends. And because we're blowing something up our nose and you have this sensitive mucous membranes mm-hmm. and some of it's ash, it's it's burnt. They, yeah. they, they filter out the charred part and then they just put in the ash part. But there's some concern about possible carcinogenic yeah, and components. so that's a, something I want to dive into more personally because, yeah, in that one study on hape, uh, it not only looked at the milligrams and the pH, but it also looked at the presence of things like polyaromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs, like the kind of oxidants or carcinogens at, at a given dose and frequency um, that are show up on your barbecued charred meats too. So like we're exposed to these day-to-day life. The FDA has limits of like considered to be safe. Like they're ones we will encounter um, unless you're living an extremely um, clean, clean like dietary life, which, uh, you know, has its own um, challenges. But uh, yeah, that is something that I wonder about. Um, not not a huge concern because at the same time, like in that Marici blend that we experienced, Marici is a potent antioxidant known for its like anti-cancer properties, the fruit of it anyway. Um, and so I think there's there's 
there are these beneficial healing properties of the plants, um, but this open question that we tend to hyper-focus on in some ways in the West of like, um, what's the dark side? Right. Yeah, in addition to antioxidant properties, some of these blends, at least when I was reading about them, um, proclaimed antibacterial properties or that hape was actually yeah. a great way to cleanse your nasal passages, um, to even treat people who were experiencing infection. Yeah, so uh, the curanderos, curanderas, medicine woman, medicine man, um, or healers using like folk medicine, using magic, uh, ceremonies, rituals, plants, uh, for both like insight, spirituality, and physical healing, um, among other practices. But tobacco in some parts of the world has, has always been a very potent, important healing tool and plant teacher. There was one practice I stumbled upon <laughs> that I alluded to earlier of, uh, what was it, um, oomancy or egg exorcisms. Have you <laughs> oh, heard yeah. of that? No, I haven't. Uh, it comes from some like Latin American countries traditionally, but I got intrigued, so I went down this little rabbit hole uh, and found out, and maybe some of our listeners have heard of or experienced this, but found out that there's a, a whole practice of using an egg to absorb negative energies. So I should have brought an egg. We could try it. Yeah. Because it would be, say, placed above your head and either rolled on your body, the egg, or waved around your body like a sage smudge stick. Um, and then after that, um, it might sit for a while, but at some point, usually that day, it would be cracked open, put in a glass of water, and put under your bed while you sleep. And then the next morning or day, the medicine woman would look at the egg in the water and, uh, and divinate or tell from what's happened to the egg. Um, if the negative, if it worked, if the negative energies, negative spirits were absorbed into it successfully, or if more work needed to be done. Where did you hear about this? Wikipedia. No, <laughs> no. And, and how did it find its way to you? Oh, because I was, uh, I was looking you know, I was going down these rabbit holes about curandero practices, oh. like, because I've always really loved that term, like curar, cure. Mm. It shows up in medicine songs, uh, cura mi cuerpo, things like that. And, uh, um, and being in the healing world uh, through a Western lens, the more I travel, like I've gone to Haiti, I've gone to Thailand, Burma, I've like, just I, I'm so fascinated by like the voodoo practices in in Haiti or even like you know when I've traveled to New Orleans New Orleans I've gone into the depths of the swamps seeking some of these uh, like traditional practices because it's so fascinated me and this was one that uh, I just encountered and read different accounts of personal experiences I tend to gravitate towards the medical literature there were some editorials on on the practice, but also just the Wikipedia page on Uumansi. <laughs> Egg exorcism. Yeah. That's, a, that's really interesting. Yeah. The, so do you know what scrying is? I've heard of scrying. Yeah. Scrying is like that, um, looking at the shape of something to, uh, 
interpret messages from the divine. Like tea leaves and stuff. Yeah, reading the tea leaves, uh, which is a cool practice. Or the animal bones or something like that. Yeah, or cedar prayers. Uh, I've encountered that a lot lately in ceremonies where there will be a sacred fire and you can offer a cedar prayer. Like take a little, it's kind of cool, we're sitting in a cedar psychiatry clinic. Um, (laughs) Right. You could take uh, some cedar leaves or, you know, plant and throw it in the fire and just watch what happens in the smoke. Mm. Yeah, I definitely don't have any uh, personal expertise in scrying, but yeah, that sounds sounds compelling. Yeah, no, it's pretty neat. It's like kind of like tarot card reading or the Tao Te Ching, um, the methods of divination that we've lost touch with here, mm-hmm. where like if you lived in France, um, 500 years ago or a few hundred years ago, um, you might call the, the king might call the court jester in with the, like the knickerbockers and the cool outfit to do a card reading of like, should we invade this country? Yes or no, yeah. magic eight ball. It's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. I like to think of different epistemologies, different ways of knowing. And in yeah. our, our Western world, heavily influenced by the enlightenment, you know, um, we use uh, rational thought, scientific method, observation, empiricism to come to conclusions, and it served us really, really well. But I think, like you're maybe implying, we've also lost touch with a lot of the intuitive ways of knowing, which is a different kind of yeah. epistemology. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating, though, like as we've entered the psychedelic world, mm-hmm. <laughs> this realm, uh, to discover that so many of the answers are actually inside of us, mm. or like how much our intuition can guide us in such a wise way, like the inner healing intelligence right. or your inner compass, um, and how these plants were used and other methods like tarot cards or tea leaves to enter some non-ordinary state or place, uh, like a ritual, if you will, or a ceremony to make it sacred, to set apart from the default world, normal waking consciousness. So you can um, be outside of that default mode and receive, like you said on Hapi, a channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I have loved that experience of pendulating kind of in and out of uh, this modern Western world that I've learned to function quite well in. And then out into the world of intuitive and spiritual. I started mm-hmm. out in my life a very intuitive spiritual person then became probably too reliant on yeah. um, rational thought as I went to college for a freaking eternity. Um, mm-hmm. And so now I feel, I'm feeling more integrated lately because of my willingness. This is just me thinking out loud about my path, my, my journey in life, but my willingness to hold my skepticism in the waiting room of my mind yeah. and entertain some of these things. Because I, I hear you talking about, oh, Mancy, and I think, what the hell? <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like complete bullshit. Um, so I, I, I tell that part of me, duly noted, hang out in the waiting room, and let's just see what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, encountered Guatemalan worry dolls ever? Mm-mm. It's the cutest thing. Like I went to Guatemala on a medical trip a long time ago. But remember coming across this idea that um, with kids or adults, there'd be these cute little worry dolls, like handmade, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, colorful, very kind of culturally uh, crafted. And you, before going to sleep at night, you would give them your worries. Oh, I love that. Think about it like with your kids or yourself. If you were to unload that based on what we know 
about the mind from a Western lens and how cool these ceremonial practices are that didn't need our scientific explanation to figure that out. But that practice could be so beneficial for someone's insomnia and anxiety. Yeah, I um, I don't see children in my clinical practice anymore, but I did for a time. And we had, um, sometimes I would do what I call the worry box, where I just get yeah. a shoe box, have the kid, we have a fly that's assaulting us. <laughs> we should have a slow motion yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, so, the, and I'd have the kid decorate it, you know, make this box what yeah. they wanted it to be, a vault. Or I had one kid who, who made it, uh, who who made uh, it like a shoe box and it made it like a monster's mouth. So the monster mm-hmm. would eat his worries. Yeah, that's cool. He'd throw them in there and they'd write them down on a little piece of paper, put them in there and like the worry box, worry monster has it. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, but but I agree. I've, I've uh, well, I think I may have mentioned this before, but when I started my career, I just finished residency. This is, what is it, 13 years ago now or mm. so? Um I was like, I'm going to save the world. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, and I legit like hopped on a plane after the Haiti earthquake and mm. was there working in tent clinics. And like I went, trekked around with the Global Health Alliance at the university through rural Ghana, like setting up telehealth linkages, thinking, oh, we can help. We know a lot. I went to school for an eternity too. Mm-hmm. Um, But every time I'd come back like shook that I just learned so much from this culture and I don't know how much I helped Uh out there. Um, And like in in Haiti, working in this tent clinic over and over, sure, I was able to bring some people some anti-seizure medicines that they lost access to uh, from the earthquake or um, even on occasion an antipsychotic, but that gets debatable if you have like like you're in a severe episode of schizophrenia, something like that. But, but I never once felt even an inkling to treat someone's PTSD with medicine mm. in Haiti. It was a like everyone holding each other in this suffering in such a like strikingly profound way. Um, and I'm going around uh, like yeah refugee camps along the Thai Burma border and and. Each time coming back, just thinking, whoa, um, I'm learning more from other cultures than I'm bringing with a Western medical model. And then ayahuasca just blew the lid off that. Mm. Like, it was like, wow. Like, I went searching for treatments for clients, like with, say, severe mental health conditions, eating disorders, and just got way more than I bargained for, like an opening of the importance of ceremony, ritual, and spirituality in the work we do. One of the things that fascinates me about you and and your mind and how you've developed is you have this, you know, rigorously trained, very efficient scientific mind. <laughs> and then you're you you mix it with all the spiritual stuff, the yogi stuff, the uh, mm-hmm. What you just described, yogi medicine. I think it makes you a great asset. This is my I'm, I'm plugging Reed Robinson <laughs> oh, for the psychedelic renaissance. Thank you, but I think Steve. it makes Reed a great asset in this psychedelic renaissance because I don't feel like I don't feel worried that you're going to get captured by either side because you seem to be walking the line very well. Recapture the rapture. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if, <laughs> if you fall off the oh, balance please, beam. But please do, uh, and thank you. That that yeah. means a lot, and I see the same in you. Uh, I think we're like minded spirits on this journey through science and spirituality and it's a beautiful blending of the two i think uh 
because yeah, even when I worked in like an eating disorder treatment center, um, one of my favorite things I ever did was running spirituality groups. And like it felt so meaningful to be able to touch into that transpersonal space with people uh, outside of the individual struggle that is so hard at times. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts about Hoppe? Um... Well, I, I think we need to be careful and cautious about, um, especially those working on the relationship with nicotine. Yeah. Because I have encountered uh, many people, even shamans I've worked with who have said, oh yeah, I don't work with Hape anymore. I felt too much of a draw to it. Um, and with that variable amount of nicotine, um, and if people do get over that intensity to the other side and really like to use it multiple times a day, it can become habitual. I wonder if then if people have um, maybe unhealthy relationships to other stimulating medications, medicines, drugs, that maybe they want to be cautious about Hoppe as well. You know what's interesting, just as an aside, a fun fact, is that uh, individuals with schizophrenia smoke three times more than the general population and three times as many cigarettes as often when they do. Uh, and it's because in a state of psychosis, the nicotine and the nicotinic receptors it hits and the cognitive enhancing that comes from it is such a like a positive Thing for them to even get a little bit of in a state of psychosis. Um, so you can also see why it fits well as uh, to punctuate ceremonies or like psychedelic, aka psychotic states with a little bit of uh, a little bit of hape. Um, but uh, it is like it is worth being cautious and. I guess what I would say is every time something goes into your body, my personal rule of thumb is just to ask it, ask myself, like, why am I taking this into my body? And like really making sure it's done with intention mm -hmm. and uh, taking breaks. Rule number two is like, um, we are habit forming machines and you do something every day it will become a habit, whether or not it's physiologically wired and hooked or um, behaviorally habituated. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think those are really important precautions. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Reed, for being you, for being awesome Likewise. you, and for having this conversation with me about Hoppe. I like this heart open Steve after <laughs> Hoppe. I think this might be becoming our, our ritual. Yeah. We've done it a couple times now, two or three before. Yeah, if you podcast. want me to keep complimenting you, yeah, that's. Uh, keep doing I'll give you the it. complimentary blends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're always a very heart open, heart guided individual. So I try to be for sure. Okay. thank you, thank you, thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, 
If you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.